You're listening to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. Knowledge, techniques, and inspiration for your teaching and your practice. I'm your host, Mado Hesselink. If you're a yoga teacher who loves learning, is passionate about spreading the benefits of yoga, and desires more resources to support your teaching, you're in the right place. Let's get started with today's episode. MailChimp is by far the most popular email service provider for yoga teachers. They recently made some big changes to their platform, and today's episode is going to focus on what those changes mean for us as yoga teachers. Hello, yoga teacher. If this is your first episode, welcome. Unless you already know a good bit about email marketing, I recommend that you also listen to episode 16 called Email Newsletters Are Dead, Long Live Email Marketing where I go over the basics of the evolution of email marketing and how yoga teachers can best benefit from their email list. For those of you who've been following along for a while, you know that I'm a big fan of using email to stay connected to your students. MailChimp has for a long time been the preferred email marketing platform for yoga teachers, mostly because they have a really generous free plan, which has gotten a little less generous recently, and we'll talk about that in the interview. When MailChimp recently unrolled some major changes to their platform, I knew that I needed to get an expert on board to help yoga teachers unpack what these changes mean for their business. And my guest, Peter Ackes, is the perfect guy for the job because he coaches yoga teachers specifically in email marketing and has an online course that walks yoga teachers through how to set up MailChimp for their business. It turns out that there are some really important changes that were not mentioned in the official announcements for MailChimp. If you use MailChimp currently or are considering it, keep on listening and you'll hear some new information that may affect your decision to start or continue using MailChimp. And you'll also hear some basic thoughts and ideas about how to best use email to help grow and promote your yoga business. If you feel like you're already growing, outgrowing MailChimp, like you've been using it and it's not quite meeting your needs anymore, tune in next week for an episode on my personal experience of switching to another email service provider. And that's it for now. Let's jump right into the conversation with Peter Ackes. About a year ago, I did a podcast episode about email newsletters, basically talking about how they are a thing of the past, but that email marketing is very present and current and powerful. For my listeners who haven't listened to that episode since I did it almost a year ago, let's start with a little overview, a brief overview of email marketing and how we used to do it and why that isn't effective anymore. Yeah, I, that's such a good point and, and a great place to start as well. I think when a lot of people think about email marketing, they do think about this idea of a newsletter, which is an email that is about, I always say it's about like 12 different topics, right? Like uh, I got a new cat and uh, I did some new yoga teacher training. Uh, I've got a new workshop. Oh, I wrote this blog post. Go check all these things out. And so it's one email about a lot of different topics. And what we see is that nobody likes getting those those emails, people don't really click on all of the links that you include on an email like that. You know, people don't read that blog post and all these other things because it's just too much at the same time. And a lot of it is probably irrelevant to, to the people that you send those emails to. 
So if that's your conception of email marketing, I understand why you might be skeptical, but email marketing done right actually is a very reliable, effective, timeless marketing channel that has worked well and will continue to work well. Email newsletters came from a time when we were excited to get emails. Do you remember that? Are you old enough? (laughs) (laughs) I, I definitely remember this, yeah. When it was like, ooh, I have an email in my inbox. It doesn't matter if it's from Canon or, you know, it doesn't matter who it's from. It's just exciting. Yeah, these days, not, not so much exciting anymore. In fact, there's, of course, plenty of uh, new legislation as well with the, the GDPR and the EU last year, you know, designed to, to cut down on the number of emails that we get. Right, right. And maybe we can dip into that a little bit later. Today, I wanted to focus primarily on MailChimp, which is the biggest email marketing service provider that yoga teachers use. And I think the reason that so many people use it is that it has had the most generous free plan. They just recently changed their service, but in the past, at least, you had, I think, 2,000 free subscribers, and many yoga teachers never reached that, that number. So they never have to pay for it. And the drawback to that was that you didn't get support. <laughs> so you had to really be able to dig through their documentation um, and, and be kind of tech savvy to be able to do that. But as long as you were able to do that, you could have your email marketing virtually free. So tell me a little bit about your experience with MailChimp and do you still recommend it for yoga teachers? Yeah, that's a good question. This is a this is going to be a qualified answer, not a straight yes or no. Because when when you and I were first talking about the Mailchimp changes, I'd gotten you know an email from the, the the founder or the CEO of Mailchimp, I forget, and he made the changes to Mailchimp sound very positive. Uh, understandable, if if you're in charge of a product, you're going to make any changes that you make to that product uh, appear in the best light. And so I thought, you know, these are these are good changes because they said, listen, um, Mailchimp is not only going to be about email marketing anymore. Now you can do some other things as well. For example, you can schedule social media posts in Mailchimp. So Mailchimp will post to your Instagram if you like, and you can add content to Mailchimp once and send it to your email list, and also have Mailchimp automatically post it to your social channels, and that will save you time. That sounds great. So I thought that this could be a good change. But then when I dug into the changes a little bit more there's definitely some really unfortunate changes that they made, um, especially for yoga teachers who are using MailChimp. Because like you said, most yoga teachers are not extremely heavy users of MailChimp. There's not that many yoga teachers around that have you know, 15,000 people on their email list and will happily pay, I don't know, $100, $200 a month because they're clearly making that money back from MailChimp. This is just not a very common scenario. And what they did is they actually restricted the free MailChimp tier by quite a bit. And so one of the things, for example, that you can no longer do if you have a free MailChimp account is to send an onboarding welcome series. Yeah, you can send one automated welcome email now, but not a series of emails. And an onboarding sequence is one of the key parts of a good email marketing strategy. If someone goes to your website, signs up for your freebie, or even if you meet someone face-to-face like after yoga class and you're like, hey, would you like to join my email list so you can hear more from me and so that I can teach you some things and Someone says, yes, it's nice when you then add them to your list if they automatically get some emails where you introduce yourself and you tell them how you can help you and you try to start a conversation. And so a great way to do that is to set up an automated sequence because you set it up once, it saves you a lot of time. Unfortunately, now you're going to have to start paying for this. Wow, I did not realize that. And just to back up and give a little background for listeners who maybe don't have an email list yet and aren't quite familiar with all these terms, 
you definitely want to send a welcome email every time that somebody signs up for your email list. You want them to feel comfortable and realize, yes, it worked. So that's a given. But many people, and a very effective strategy, as Peter was just saying, is that you also want to send out an automatic series of emails that helps to develop a relationship with them and helps them get used to hearing from you regularly. And this is something that I think, Peter, you probably teach this. You have a course for specifically yoga teachers and email marketing. It's important to email your list regularly because if you don't, then people are just going to forget that they signed up. <laughs> and they, if they're not used to hearing from you and then you have this big thing happening and you really want to pitch people, you really want to maybe sell a retreat or something, then all of a sudden you email them and they're like, who are you? <laughs> and, and they might unsubscribe from your list, which is fine if they don't want to hear from you. But you reduce the chances of that happening by sending these this onboarding series and then continuing to send regular emails. Yeah, in the end, email marketing is about building and continuing to build relationships with your students. So it's just like you're saying, if you would like to sell your classes, workshops, retreats, you know, whatever, yoga events, or maybe you sell products, right? If you want to sell something to people, they have to like you first and they have to see you as an authority or as someone who knows what they're talking about first. And uh, yeah, just like you're saying, if you, if you get someone on your email list in some way and then it's, there's months of silence, I mean, that's not a great way to get people to be excited to buy from you. Um, so of course, you know, you can manually still on the free plan of MailChimp email people regularly, right? That part of the strategy really works. But there's some, some of the more advanced things like sending people that series of welcome emails, which is so helpful to start building that connection um, and saves you a lot of time versus manually emailing everybody who joins your list, right? So it's, it's really unfortunate in that case. But uh, yeah, what you're talking about is definitely the right long-term strategy for building an email list. Over time, if you email your list regularly, you're going to build up some really wonderful, valuable content, but you don't want to keep emailing the same people things that you've already emailed them. However, you could add the best pieces, the best content that you've already emailed to your list. You can add that to your I've heard it called a nurture sequence or a nourishing sequence to that initial email sequence. And so then you're continuing to get value out of a piece of content that you created a long time ago. And you, you know, you use it to develop that relationship, like Peter was saying, but you don't have to keep creating fresh new content, you can get more use out of the content you've already created. Yeah. It's kind of like if you write blog posts for your websites, right? You would like people to check out your uh, sort of your best blog posts first, not your most recent ones. So a lot of people will do something like my featured articles or something like that, right? Or highlight some articles. That's kind of what you want to do with your email list as well. And, and automating it this way is a, is a great way of doing that. If you've ever gotten on my email list, then one of the emails in my automated intro sequence is a list of some recommended podcast episodes. Oh, I like that. Yeah. And the other one, another thing I wanted to touch on in the sort of same vein is a lot of yoga teachers teach drop-in yoga classes. And so what happens is that there's a lot of seasonal fluctuations, people come and go, and we're always wondering, how do I get people to be more regular? How do I get people to be more consistent with coming to my classes? Well, what happens is that people live lives and those lives are filled with distractions and things happen. They go on vacation, they get sick. And anytime a routine is interrupted, then it requires a conscious effort to get back into that routine. It doesn't just happen. 
So by emailing your list regularly, you remind them how much they love coming to your classes. You remind them who they were at that time. And, you know, hopefully, and I think probably, this is somebody that they want to be again. They, people like how they feel after yoga. They like how they feel when they attend classes regularly. But it's really easy for them to get distracted and to just forget. So to be the yoga teacher who does reach out to them regularly, that sets you apart. Most yoga teachers won't do that. And I know it's hard. I know it does require some discipline. And, and I think the discipline comes from understanding how powerful it is. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think as, as someone who runs a business, and, and if you're a yoga teacher and you teach yoga classes, you run a business, whether you think of yourself as a business owner or not. Um, it can be, because you, you spend so much time in your business, right? So if you're a yoga teacher, you think you spend so much time thinking about the classes you teach and, uh, you know, do you want to run workshops? And But your students, they're not thinking about you all day, every day, like they really are not. So I completely agree. They're just very likely to forget about you, right? If they, if they stop coming to your classes for a few weeks, you know, they may not think of you again unless something random happens. So that, that's just, first of all, an argument for capturing people's email addresses, right? Even if, it's, even if you're teaching classes at someone else's studio, after class, when you're talking to someone, be like, hey, can I get your email address so I can stay in touch with you? You know, that's, you know if you ask people face-to-face on the spot, most people are going to end up saying yes to that. So that, that's actually a good way to start. And then it allows you to stay in touch with people. And to be really clear, you want to make sure that that is okay with the studio because some studios do have policies against any kind of outside contact. So there's a really wide spectrum on policies for yoga studios in promoting anything outside of the yoga studio. Some of them don't even want, you know, like if they find you on social media, there's nothing the studio can do about it. Um, but some studios feel very proprietary over the members at that studio. So you do want to make sure. And ideally, you know, honestly, find studios to teach at that let you promote. If if at all possible. Yoga studios do not, or very rarely, do they offer yoga teachers enough work to make a living. And so yoga teachers are relying on the relationships with those students to find more students and to promote maybe a bigger offering that does provide a bigger chunk of their income. So it's better if it feels like a partnership with the yoga studio, where the yoga studio wants your success and is invested in your success and not just using you as a source of income, basically, like a cog. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I completely agree. And I know there, there are studios that will tell you not to market, for example, let's say you have a retreat. There are studios that will tell you, look, I'm not really fine with you promoting your retreat at the end of class or something, but I would agree, try and teach at other studios. But even if that's not an option, uh, you can try and give people a cut. So you can say, look, if you guys are willing to promote my retreat, for example, by putting up flyers or something like that, or by telling people about it, you know, I'll give you like a whatever, 15% cut on every retreat sale that comes through you. Um, This is a very common practice in business. It works very well. So uh, that's definitely another option. Yeah, that's an excellent idea. I do want to go back a little bit to what you said about them making a full-time living because it is hard. And I hear so many yoga teachers who tell me that they have a part-time or a full-time job in addition, right, to the yoga teaching. And so you do have to look out for yourself. If, if you know, it's very easy to want to avoid conflict. I think a lot of people don't like conflict, but 
if you need to run events, yoga events, right, such as workshops or retreats, and if you need that income to make a living, and if you want to make a full-time living from your yoga, then you may have to do some of those things, may have to make some of those negotiations or teach somewhere else, make some changes that are a little bit uncomfortable initially, but that will be really good for your long-term business and health and also your personal, you know, satisfaction. Absolutely. And, you know, once you find out what the studio that you teach at, what, what their exact policies are, there are usually ways to invite people to interact with you that will stay within the bounds of their policies. For example, you can, if you have a lead magnet, and this is something that I do talk about in episode 16 on email newsletters, um, and I think we have kind of, you touched on it earlier, Peter, a lead magnet is a small gift that you give people in, as a thank you for subscribing. So you might be able to weave that information about that gift, maybe not into your class, you might be able to kind of toss it out there. If you're, if you're struggling with this pose, I have a tutorial on that, that I send to email subscribers. And so in that way, it puts the ball in their court. If they're like, Oh yeah, I really want that. Then they can come to you after class and, and give you their email address. And that's very different from asking for their email address. Exactly. Because now it's much more natural, right? It, it doesn't come across so much like you're just trying desperately to reach people, but instead you have something of value to offer. It, it's a seamless you know, solution to a problem that they're already talking about. And I love your example about when you, you know, uh, have like a little video of yourself, for example. And by the way, I always recommend if you're at all comfortable on camera, make videos for these things because people love watching video. Why, why do we think Instagram is such a big marketing channel? Because people love watching other people do yoga. Um, yeah, and, and it's just a much more natural way of doing it um, and will feel less forced. So with the changes that MailChimp recently made, one of the issues is no more onboarding series. What else? What else is of relevance to yoga teachers? Yeah, I mean, that's honestly the biggest one. They are charging now for more of their advanced features. So there are other things that you were able to do before that you can on the free plan of MailChimp that you can now no longer do. But most of these are features that, I, that most yoga teachers probably will not get to. So really, that's not such a big deal. Um, but if you want to sell more classes, events, and you're serious about you know, growing your yoga business for the long term, I would highly recommend using this sort of automated emails, right? Um, and so that is going to put you in a paid tier of MailChimp. And I think we're talking about like $15 a month or something like that, um, which is not a huge expense, to be fair. Um, and there are more expensive email service providers. I personally use ConvertKit, big fan of ConvertKit, um, but that costs $29 a month uh, just to use it at all. Um, it's very worth it. I mean, this cost is trivial if you make use of email marketing for the long term and you really grow your list and you start selling things, then it will pay for itself many, many times over. Um, but when you're just starting out, you know, when you're maybe struggling to get people to your classes, there's a big difference between free software and like $29 a month. So absolutely. And there's a big difference between $15 a month and $29 a month. Yeah. I actually switched from MailChimp to ConvertKit in March myself. Mm -hmm. And I have already recorded a podcast episode that I think I'm going to release right after this one with you mm -hmm. about that switch and what I learned from doing it and who I recommend ConvertKit for versus MailChimp based on my experience. One other change that MailChimp is making that I think 
might be relative relevant to at least some yoga teachers is the difference in who they're counting in that 2000 people. In the past, once somebody unsubscribed from your email list, they don't count anymore. And now if they unsubscribe from the, your email list, they count unless you manually go in and remove them. So this just adds a little extra step for yoga teachers if you're getting close to that 2000 limit, which I really hope you are. Let's hope so, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. You need to periodically go into MailChimp and remove all those people who've unsubscribed. And this, I think this adds another layer of, there's this um, conflict, there's this inner conflict, I think, that many people have when somebody unsubscribes from your email list. And in the beginning, when I first started my email list, I would feel personally hurt when I saw an unsubscri unsubscribe. Now, I have a, a quite a large email list and lots of people get on it who've never heard of me before. They just want my freebie. And so I have unsubscribes all the time. And I don't feel that way anymore because I'm paying a lot of money <laughs> to ConvertKit. My ConvertKit um, my convert kit monthly fee is quite a bit higher than $29 a month because I have a good number of people on my list. And I now have gotten to the point where I feel, yay, thank you for unsubscribing so I don't have to pay for you if you're not interested in hearing from me. But that has been a long journey. And I think that if you know that even people who unsubscribe from your list are still counting, you're still having to not exactly pay for them, but they're counting towards your your 2000 if you're determined that you don't want to pay $15 a month. It, I think it can be helpful to like go in and manually unsubscribe and to be like, nope, peace to you, well wishes to you, we don't need you on my list if you are not interested. Yeah, I think it's a very strange way of, of doing it, of counting for people who have unsubscribed. It doesn't make any sense to me. I have no idea why MailChimp decided to make this change. I will say, you know, the people who unsubscribed, if that puts you close to going over that limit of 2,000 people, which is, you know, the free plan limit, right? Then you should have enough people still on your email list to make paying for MailChimp or ConvertKit or whatever worth it. I mean, if you have 1,000 people on your email list and maybe the 1,000 who, who have canceled, right? Then you still have 1,000 people. It's, poss it, it's really not that hard to sell 15 or 30 or even 50 or whatever dollars a month, you know, of services or products to 1,000 people. So I, I think it's possible to focus too much on the costs as well. And a lot of people do this. And especially, I, I understand being a yoga teacher is such a competitive field. So a lot of people who become a yoga teacher at first, it really takes time to find enough classes to teach, to find students to come to your classes. And if you're in the stage where you're hosting workshops or maybe retreats, the first couple of times you do that, maybe it is hard to find people to come to those things. So maybe you, in the beginning, you have a little bit of that mindset where you're thinking, now you need to be really protective and you know not have too many costs because your your revenue is not so high but once you're at that point where you have a lot of attention from people you really i think it makes more sense to think about how can i increase my revenue and not worry as much about all the costs and think a little bit more business wise right costs are there because they're investments if you have a free email list then you don't have any incentive to email your students regularly. You're not like, oh, I've already paid for this. I need to use it. Versus if you're paying for it, then you're like, well, I really need to get my value out of it. So in that way, choosing to pay for it will actually make your list more valuable to you because you're, you'll be more likely to use it. At $15 a month, 
let's say if you are teaching at a studio and you get $5 a person, if three people per month come to class, you've paid for your email list. It's, I agree. The, the math is really um, very positive. I love your, uh, your suggestion of, you know, if you pay for something, you're more likely to use it. It reminds me in college, I, I took a, a seminar on behavioral economics. And one of the things that we did is we reviewed this paper of a study where they looked at gym memberships. Because if you go to a lot of gyms, you see that there's so many people who have a gym membership, but rarely show up. So the behavioral economists were asking themselves, why do people show up or why do people not show up even though they have gym memberships? And so one of the reasons that they put forward that actually explains people's behavior quite well is exactly what you're saying is when you have to pay every time to go to the gym. I mean, you're probably thinking I'm tired today. I didn't sleep well. I had a hard day's work. I don't want to go to the gym, right? So it's hard enough to go. But then on top of that, if you don't already have a membership with the gym, you also have to pay money, right? So there's an extra reason not to do it. So people are much less likely to actually do it. And so therefore, buying a membership just reduces the cost in the moment, right? The variable cost of going. And so I completely agree. This is, you know, it can be a very big motivator. Um, having already paid for something can really change your behavior. And I think this is a great, a great example. Investing in software might make you more likely to make use of it. It's true. Humans, I think we have a, a tendency to overestimate how logical we are and underestimate how much oh, yeah. of our behavior is going on behind the scenes, is controlled behind the scenes. And we need to figure out how to hack our own brains. And, you know, we need to use behavioral economy on ourselves. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Everybody needs to take a behavioral economy class. It's it's very helpful. And you'll also have, you get a lot of answers to why people do things that seemingly make no sense. So I am towards the end of reading a book called uh, The Willpower, what was it called? The Willpower something. It's by Kelly McGonigal, who is actually a yoga teacher. And she, it's the audience for the book is, you know, just general, very broad audience, but she weaves tons of yoga concepts and practices and ideas into that, into that book. So that's really interesting because she, she goes over all the science about why humans behave the way that we do in regards to what we think we want and why we don't act on that. Yeah, that sounds fascinating. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, I'll, I'll include a link to that in the show notes. Well, Peter, is there anything else that you think is really essential for yoga teachers to know about using email marketing effectively or using MailChimp specifically? You know, you touched on this a little bit earlier that many people, not only yoga teachers, but people including yoga teachers, um, think that email marketing is something that takes a lot of time and energy to do. And this is a myth. It does not have to be something that is frustrating, that takes a lot of time, takes a lot of energy. Uh, if your idea of email marketing is, I'm going to send a monthly newsletter, then I can see how that might be very daunting. Like I would not want to do that because those things are not fun to write. But if you instead send a very brief email every other week to your entire email list, that's not so hard. I mean, you probably send emails many days of the week. And some of those emails are plenty long and interesting enough. And let's say you talk to someone after class one day and they ask you a question. You can literally go that afternoon or that evening, sit down at your computer 
compose an email to your entire list and say, hey, I was talking to a student today. She came up to me after class and she asked me this. I think a lot of you might have this same question. Here's what I said. Here's what I would do if you have that problem. And you can write that up in like 10, 15 minutes. And that's the sort of emails that if you send those consistently over time, will build that connection and will have people seeing you as someone who offers them value, giving them a reason to stay on your email list and warming them up for if you eventually have something to sell. So you don't need to write really long emails. It doesn't have to be super often, like every other week sending an email like that. It's, you know, a small commitment of time and energy, very doable. And if you do it for a long time, you know, if we're talking years here, if, this, if you make this a strategy that you stick with, it will have huge, huge, huge payoff. A lot of yoga teachers are a little bit tech phobic. And so what happens is that they sit down to write an email or an email newsletter. Definitely, if they're trying to write an email newsletter, they are going to put themselves in this position of it taking so long that at the end, they don't feel any reward. They don't feel any... Uh, and, and humans need, and, and this... Um, I, I'm pretty sure the book is called The Willpower Instinct by Kelly McGonigal. Mm. And she talks about this, how humans really need an immediate reward to create a habit. And writing a long email newsletter that is frustrating and takes a lot of time, there's no immediate reward and you're going to avoid it doing it next time. Right. I remember what it was like to try to write email newsletters. I've been a yoga teacher for a little over 15 years and it drains you and you don't feel good at the end of it. So if that's your approach, it's not going to be effective. But if you're tech phobic, then even writing a short email in the beginning is going to still feel the same way. It is going to feel daunting. It is going to feel frustrating because you're not going to know how the software works and, and it's not going to be intuitive for you. And if you have a lot of stories around your capacity to learn technology, then every time you run into a problem, you're going to see, you're going to silently tell yourself, see, I know I'm not good at this. I'm not. <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing because one of my, one of my um, coaching clients is popping into my head right now. And she <laughs> knows exactly who she is. Or actually, now that I say that, probably like three of them are going to, as they listen to this, uh -huh. one, oh, she's talking about me. You'll never know. <laughs> no. Um, but my point is that you need to create some structure for yourself so that it becomes easy and it will become easy. Anything that you do consistently and repetitively will become easy. Maybe you need to give yourself an artificial reward at the end. Maybe it's a little piece of chocolate or after I do this, I get to go on a walk or whatever you know is going to work for you to create that immediate sense of reward so that you can be consistent. Because if you hear nothing else from this podcast episode, it is that your email marketing is only going to be effective. It's only gonna be worth the investment of $15 a month and a little bit of your time if you are consistent with it. And consistent with it for a long time. You know, If you do this for three months, it's probably not worth it. You have to really make, and, and I mean, if you're a yoga teacher, you're probably in this for the long term, right? So you've got to do long-term thinking as well. When people first start teaching yoga, they don't understand how big of an investment it is to really make this a career. And I think when, when yoga teachers first start, 
and they step their feet, their to- put their toes in the water, they go, whoa, oh, and it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. Yeah, because now you've learned to teach yoga, but you haven't learned anything yet about business. Well, and you, ha- you haven't even learned how to teach yoga. That takes years too. And so all I can say is that every single yoga teacher who you see out there who seems successful has been where you are has been in that moment or that period of time of like, wow. But every single human who becomes excellent at anything has put in the work. And so this is just a part of the work. And you don't have to do email newsletters. There are other ways to put in work. Um, This isn't the only way. But if you do think that this is the right path for you, be prepared to play the long game. I really agree with what you're saying that you don't have to do email marketing. I mean, some people just don't like it and that's fine. It's a very effective channel, but if you prefer something else, I mean, run with something else. So if you would love to make videos and put them on YouTube, then put a video on YouTube, just do it regularly, get better at it. In the beginning, it may be you pointing your phone selfie camera at yourself and maybe 10 years from now, you'll have like a fancy lighting setup, who knows, right? But you get better over time. Yeah, but make sure that you can communicate with those people outside of YouTube. Yeah, I think, I think that depends on what you want to do. Um, and this is a point we haven't touched on, but it is, it is very important because some yoga teachers will be mostly teaching to people in their community, in their local community, right? And so then it's fantastic if you have 10,000 people you can talk to, but if 9,800 of those don't live anywhere near you and you're only teaching local classes, I think that's not going to help you grow your business. So it, it depends a little bit on what you want to do. But in particular, if you're interested and now we're in the future of reaching more people than just the ones in your community. So maybe you want to offer retreats uh, in fancy locations around the world, or you want to offer online products, online services, then it can be even more interesting to try and try and go big. Um, but yes, I agree with your point on YouTube that if someone follows you or subscribes to your YouTube channel, you will not have their email address. That's, that's one of the reasons why email marketing is so powerful because it's just you communicating with people as opposed to if you're on YouTube or Instagram and they change their algorithm, then you're done. Right. Right. And Instagram has recently just changed their algorithm. And I've noticed um, a decrease in the effectiveness of using hashtags, for example. Yeah. And that's unfortunately, there's something you're just going to have to deal with. But that's why with email marketing, you know, nobody is going to stand in between you and reaching your people. Right. And I would just say, if you're choosing not to do email marketing, make it a conscious choice. Don't not do email marketing because you're afraid of it, but do it because you have another plan (laughs) that works. You've got to have a plan. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, Peter, this was really uh, interesting and enjoyable. Thank you so much. Do you want to tell my listeners a little bit about your course for, for yoga teachers? Yeah, definitely. So my course is actually called Email Marketing for Yoga Teachers, Build Your Following and Sell Events. And so I made this course precisely to help Uh, Yoga teachers get started with email marketing, learn the philosophy behind it, learn how the technology works, learn which emails to send and when, how to sell using email marketing, because in the end, that's often the goal, how to build relationships. Um, So I made that course. And um, the easiest way for people to uh, get a sense of what it's like is actually to download a free roadmap that I have, which essentially mirrors the steps of the course, um, except this roadmap is free. Um, and that's over at peterakis.net slash roadmap. So I would encourage people to start there, check that out. And if they like that, they can move on and check out the full course. Great. And we will include 
a link in the show notes for sure. Great. Thanks so much, Peter. Yeah, thank you. I hope that conversation was helpful for you. If you're thinking about switching away from MailChimp, or if you just like to get really nerdy about email marketing, check out next week's episode. Earlier this year, I noticed that there were some features missing for, from MailChimp that were really important to me, and I decided to switch to a different email service provider in the beginning of March. While the actual switch was relatively easy, I also learned some lessons the hard way, and I'd love to save you time and effort <laughs> if you can learn from my mistakes. So please come back next week to hear why I switched and what I wish I had done differently. That is all for today. I'm going to keep this short and sweet, but as always, I want to leave you with a reminder to make time for your personal practice. 